Good morning, Skyline. It's good to be with you this morning, and good morning, all of you who are joining us via Facebook this morning. Uh, just want to remind you that um, we are rapidly approaching the Easter season, and um, we are going to have three services actually here on Easter Sunday morning. So there's plenty of opportunity um, to invite your neighbors and your friends. Um, be thinking about how you can do that even now uh, as we lead up uh, to Easter week. Uh, so this morning, uh, we have come to the final message in our series on the power of one, two, and three. And uh, this series is designed uh, to help all of us realize um, the tremendous uh, power and potential that we have of living in close, honest relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, today, I have the special privilege of sharing um, from my heart um, about how our ministry called the Skyline Band of Brothers came about and how that fits in with the power of 2, 3, and 4. So um, in order to tell you that story, we have to go all the way back to the spring of the year 2000. Okay, Skyline is not even a church back then. And um, I had just celebrated, if you can believe this, my 39th birthday that year. Um, and I can tell you from having gone through that period of my life that midlife crisis is a real thing for men who are 39. Um, kind of strange things happen. We kind of um, begin to reevaluate our life and, and what it's amounted to up until that point. Um, my life was, was very good. Um, I had grown up in a Christian family. Uh, they had given me good Christian values um, since I was a kid. Um, I had a beautiful wife um, who actually was my high school sweetheart. And um, we had four wonderful children. At the time, they were ages 7 through 12. Uh, so life was good. Um, and um, what I didn't realize, uh, I always knew God was important to me. Uh, I didn't fully realize how much I put that relationship into the failure or success of my church. Um, I had grown up in this church. Uh, I was serving in this church uh, that we were attending at the time. And uh, so what happened was when things started to go a little bit south, um, when people um, couldn't get along, and every time we had a business meeting, we had a, a major uh, fight within that church, it really started to take a toll on um, my, my own self-worth, my own value. And uh, we, fought, we fought hard uh, to try to save what we thought we had there at that church. But there came a time in the spring of 2000 um, when both my wife and I, we both had this sense, and we kind of came to it from separate, um, separate directions, but we, we both had this sense that the fight was over, and we couldn't salvage anything further, and it was time to walk away. Um, and that was traumatic. Um, looking back on it now, I realize it was a tremendous wound to my spirit. I had invested so much in that church and in those relationships, and then to have to leave it all behind, um, it really had me wondering 
um, who I was and, and whether I was even a success. Fast forward to the spring, or rather to the year 2000, so almost three years later, uh, we had gone through a search for a new church. We had felt uh, just a strangeness, a disconnectedness most places we went. But now in 2003, um, there was this new church plant called Skyline Community Church. And while I, uh, our family had started to attend, uh, we had come from the church that we had settled in at, um, there was still a tremendous hesitation in my spirit to become fully involved. Um, there was still that wound, I think, from uh, having uh, the other church experience end so poorly. And I was still uh, mixed up um, about who I was and, and, uh, and what I was supposed to do. So around that time, I picked up a book uh, by John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. And that book just gripped me. It just spoke to what I was going through in that season of my life like no other book has. And as I came toward the end of that book, uh, he quotes, it's a famous quote uh, from President Theodore Roosevelt. I want to read that quote for you now. He said, it is, the, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails, daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known neither victory nor defeat. That day in my journal, um, I was journaling at that time, and I really recommend um, when you interact with God that you write it down because there's so much of what we come through that we forget. Yeah. And I had kind of forgotten about this moment, but I looked it up and I found it in my journal and this is what I wrote that day. As I am just about finished with my first read of Wild at Heart, I have learned a great many things about myself and my recent journey through life. One of the more striking revelations is that I have been just like Elijah, who followed up a great victory at Mount Carmel by retreating into a cave of defeat. And that's where I was at that time. But I refuse to be relegated to the sidelines any longer. I want to be the man in the arena fighting for a cause bigger than myself. If I fail, I'm going down with guns blazing. Well, I believe it was that day that God conceived in my heart the idea for the ministry of Band of Brothers. As God was using the message that came through this book to awaken my dead heart, he seemed to be saying to me, I want you to spread this message to as many men as you can. Wow. Let me say this to the men who are here this morning right now. You need a purpose in your life that is bigger than yourself. You were created to be part of a story that is bigger than just you. Yeah. And you will never be fulfilled 
until you find it. So the Skyline Band of Brothers exists for three things, really. To help men discover their wild heart, to experience or to help men experience their larger purpose in life, and finally, to be able to walk and serve side by side in a band of brothers. How do we do this? Well, we have a threefold plan, and the easy way to remember it is through the three R's. It's revive, retreat, and respond. So revive represents the Band of Brothers events, single-day events that we run from time to time. You've heard of them. Um, we like to do things like um, hatchet throwing and skeet shooting and whitewater rapids, uh, deep sea fishing. Um, they're designed to get men off of the couch and out into the wild where we really like discover our true heart. Um, we don't um, do a lot of breakfasts. Um, <laughs> just not what we do. Um, simply put, it's designed to wake up the masculine heart. We think that a lot of men need that waking up. Uh, the retreat represents a weekend that we spend in the Poconos. We rent a uh, lodge and uh, we bring up all our own food. We cook together. Uh, we live together, and we really have the time to unpack this message, uh, this wild at heart message. And while we're up there, we talk about um, the wound. Um, we talk about the need for us to be able to bring a wound into the light and um, to have God's healing applied to that. And the culmination of the retreat experience is on Sunday morning um, when we send the men out into the wilderness um, alone with their Bible and a notebook and a pen. And uh, we ask them to ask God this question. God, Heavenly Father, who do you say that I am? Mm. And then to stick with that question as long as it takes until they hear from their Heavenly Father. And then we ask them to, to journal that experience so they have it, could take it with them and then finally, the respond part represents um, the ministry that we have uh, decided that, that we should be involved in as, as men, as a band of brothers, and that's a ministry to our single moms. Uh, we've decided that um, they uh, need our help in any way that we can give it. Um, and we want to be there for them. We want to be available. Uh, we've done things like rip up carpet in an apartment where um, a daughter had um, an allergy and was, uh, had asthma. Um, we've helped women move when they had to go from apartment to apartment. Um, there's just a, a lot of different things um, where we can, um, as men, um, come to their side. So, so that's the third piece of why we exist. Now, I just want to say that... Um, Life groups at Skyline form the basis um, for the Band of Brothers. We don't replace life groups. Um, life happens in those life groups. And what we do is, as a ministry, we kind of attach over the top of those life groups, and we provide these three things for men. So you don't have to be in a life group to do these Band of Brothers events, but we want to eventually draw you into a life group because that's where life really happens. 
So um, we have um, talked about during this series the idea of positioning yourself so that you can take advantage of the power of two, three, and four. Pastor Chris has talked about it, and then last week Dan DeKaiser talked about this idea of positioning. So how can you, at least as men, position yourself uh, to do this? Well, it's very simple. Uh, say yes to the events that we run. Uh, say yes to the retreat when that comes around and we offer up the retreat experience. Finally, say yes to be part of our ministry toward single moms. Now, there are three things that I believe every man has a deep need and yearning for. What are they? It's a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Now, when I um, read Wild at Heart, it was really like the seed that germinated in my heart that, that Band of Brothers came from. When I read it, I began to discover that God created men to be strong and courageous. Big discovery. Um, and that's what we all want deep down in our hearts. So let's look at these three things separately. A battle to fight. Look at the movies that men love to watch. Uh, for me, when I was uh, an older teen, it was the Star Wars trilogy. Um, you know, it was this epic battle between good and evil, and um, you're kind of just drawn up into that. In fact, um, I think that I must have watched uh, The Empire Strikes Back, which was the, the sequel to Star Wars. I watched that five or six times in the movie theater before the, the next, the third one in the, in the series came out. Uh, I was, that's how much I was into it. Now, later on in life, movies like uh, Braveheart and Gladiator, they, they captured my attention because there was something about those characters. That's who I wanted to be. That's who I hoped that I would have the courage to be if I ever found myself in those situations, fighting a battle that I was called to. An adventure to live is simply why we now uh, do the whitewater rafting trip every year. Uh, we've discovered that men, um, they kind of forget that they have this wild heart yeah. until they get into the middle of a group three rapids on the <laughs> Lehigh River. And then all of a sudden, it just comes to the surface, just bubbles right out of them. They come alive on the river, they really do. Uh, and then the third part is a beauty to rescue. Uh, this is probably like the culminating reason for why we are men, uh, what we've been created to do. Um, if you think about it, a teenage boy, there's no greater thrill, right, than when he suddenly realizes that that cute girl has noticed him and is hoping that, she notice, uh, that, that he notices her as well. We're, we're drawn to it. So recently, I uh, watched a documentary on uh, National Geographic, and um, it had all three of these elements in it. it. It checked all the boxes. It's about a professional climber who climbs uh, this sheer cliff in Yosemite National Park called El Capitan. It's over 3,000 feet sheer granite wall. 
And that would be like amazing enough if he did it like the normal way that people climb, like with a partner and a rope. When you free solo, you climb without a rope. So um, I was just like amazed at this. And I wanted to share a little clip from the movie with you to see if you're as amazed as I was. So let's uh, watch the clip together. Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? It's obviously like much higher consequence. People who know a little bit about climbing, they're like, oh, he's totally safe. And then people who really know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. I've thought about El Cap like for years, and every year I'm like, that's really scary. I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. El Cap is the most impressive wall on Earth. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. It's the center of the rock climbing universe. Obviously, I get interview questions about it all the time. Oh, would you like to do that? And you're like, yes, for sure. So you're a girlfriend now, I heard. It's awesome. <laughs> Pretty much makes life better in every way. It's really hard for me to grasp why he wants this. But if he doesn't do this stuff, he'd regret it. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? Oh. What if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's free soloing, that's why he feels the most alive, the most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. It's starting to become fight. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. I can't believe you guys are actually going to watch. Hey, Jimmy, do you copy? Just started climbing. So did you feel it? Yeah. <laughs> did you feel your heart come alive while you were watching those scenes? And, and did you catch what his mom said? His mom said, I think when he is free soloing, that's when he feels most alive. And that's it. I rest my case on that. But in addition to these three deep-seated desires that all of us men have, we also have a question. And that question is, do I have what it takes? No matter how, success, how successful we might seem on the outside, that question is always simmering. Uh, just below the surface. It always const constantly comes back and kind of accuses of us. You know, the answer that we get back is, no, you really don't have what it takes. Now, lest you women think that this is going to be all about the men, um, I have something for you, too. 
uh, because you have a question as well. Only your question is not, do I have what it takes? Your question is, do you notice me? Am I captivating? Am I worth fighting for? And the answer that you get and the wounds that you take that form the answer to that question are what basically make you distrustful of men in general. And if you're married, it's what causes or tempts you to short-circuit your husband's leadership in that marriage. Now, how did we get here? How did we get to where this question becomes like so dominating in our lives and it, it messes us up? I mean, there's a really lot of bag, a lot of baggage surrounding this question. Well, I think the answer, as always, we can find in the Bible. And so we're going to look at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. When God created everything and when he created us, to, to look for a clue to the answer to some of these questions. So we're going to start in the Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the overview of God's creation. It's just the big picture of how God created everything. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Just as a little side note, did you notice that um, preposition, let us make man in our image? So who are we talking about here? Well, this is actually the first reference in the Bible to the fact that God is a triune God. This is the Trinity that's speaking. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit saying, let us make mankind in our image. That's just a freebie. That's just an aside. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God doesn't just make a human being. No, God does something distinct. God makes a man and God makes a woman. And when God made that man, he, made, he meant something special. And when God made that woman, he meant something special. Now, today in our society, we are super confused about this topic. We've got all this confusion surrounding gender. And like, I thought like gender was kind of like a biological fact. But like today, it's like, no, you can kind of choose what you want to be. Well, that doesn't allow for the fact that God is the creator and the designer, and God gave you a particular design when you were born into this world. You know, I look at it like the male and the female, the man and the woman are two pieces of a puzzle. They're different, but they're like interlocking. They fit together, and they complete each other. They're also re revealed different characteristics of God. We're made in God's image, but we don't necessarily reveal all the same characteristics of God. You know, God is fierce, wild, and passionate. But at the same time, he's also beautiful and mysterious and vulnerable. So you might say, well, well how is God vulnerable? God is, is like big and powerful and awesome. 
But I would submit to you that when God made all of us with free will, he allowed for the possibility that we would not accept his love but reject his love. That is the essence of vulnerability. So now we come to the part of the lesson where we get to have fun, right? This is a little game that we're going to play. If you've followed me when I give my talks, I usually like to have a game. So <clears throat> Genesis 1, the overview of creation. Genesis chapter 2 goes into the details of that creation. We're going to have a quiz on Genesis chapter 2. I am going to give you two events that happened in Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you which one of these came first. Are you ready? Okay. God creates the Garden of Eden. God forms Adam from the dust of the ground. Right? Who thinks God creates the Garden of Eden first? Raise your hand. Who thinks God forms Adam from the dust of the ground first? Raise your hand. Okay. Not everybody voted. The correct answer is God forms Adam from the dust of the ground before he makes the garden. Okay, which of these two events now came second? God forms Eve from Adam's side or God creates the Garden of Eden? How many think God formed Eve from Adam's side first? before the? And how many think God created the Garden of Eden next? Okay, and now the correct answer to that is God creates the Garden of Eden before he forms Eve from Adam's side. All right, last question. Which of these two events came third in the sequence? God forms Eve from Adam's side, or God instructs Adam about the tree in the middle of the garden? Who thinks God forms Eve next? You're scared to put your hands up, aren't you? <laughs> Who thinks God instructs Adam about the tree in the middle of the garden? The latter is correct. God instructs Adam about the tree in the middle of the garden, not to eat from its fruits, before God brings Adam aside, takes a rib out of Adam, and forms Eve. So Eve is the pinnacle of God's creation. Eve is the crowning achievement of all that God did. It would not have been complete without Eve. He saved the best. For last. So, so but I got all the women on my side now. But it's true. It really is true. So, so that was fun, but I did it for a purpose. There's really something in here for us, I think, to learn. And, and the sequence of these events is actually important. The first thing I want you to notice is that God formed Adam before there was ever a Garden of Eden. Right. So God formed Adam in the wilderness, right? right? God formed Adam, if, if it was Australia, we would have said God formed Adam in the outback. <laughs> and, and I think there's a reason why men's hearts come alive wow. in the wilderness. It's because that's where he was born, essentially. Wow. It's part of his DNA. Right. Now... The other thing that's interesting here is that Eve is not around for the instruction about the tree and not eating from the fruit of it. Adam is the only one that gets that. And so then it's up to Adam then to inform his wife, look, this is what God has told me. So like, 
the two of us together. We have to honor this. Um, it's also important to realize that what God does not say to Adam. I mean, he just basically tells him, there's a tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat the fruit of it, boom, done, that's it. He doesn't like go into this great detail. Um, for instance, he doesn't say, look, Adam, um, in about a week, you know, you and Eve, you're going to be walking down in the orchard, and there's this serpent that's going to come up, and he's going to actually tempt your wife. He's going to tempt Eve. Adam, are you listening to me? The fate of your entire human race here depends on this moment. You have to come through. He doesn't say any of that to Adam. He doesn't give him this big hype job. And I'm wondering why. And I, I think the reason is because God trusts Adam. God designed Adam for this very thing. He designed him to come through when it mattered the most. Now, we know that that's not the way the story goes down. We know that Adam fails his design, fails it miserably. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. That's not what he said, by the way. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan actually tempts Eve um, to the fact that God is holding out on her. He's holding back something. And uh, she kind of um, gets drawn into that idea. And then when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. In another passage in the New Testament, the Bible talks about sin having three different pieces to it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All three things were here in that temptation. But wait a minute. There's one thing that seems to be missing from this story. Where is Adam when all of this conversation between Satan and Eve is going on? Where is he? very next verse tells us. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, when you read scripture, sometimes you have to kind of look a little bit past the actual words and see what's really going on in this situation. Adam is standing there right beside her the whole time this conversation is happening. And he doesn't say anything. He's silent. He doesn't risk for her. He doesn't fight for her. He just lets it happen. Men, does any of this sound familiar to you? We, we seem like we have a hard time when it's time to step up, right? Especially for our, our wife. Um, that original sin that Eve stepped out in front of the leadership of her husband and Adam just went silent, and said nothing, didn't fight for her. That is basically what all of our conflicts and all of our failures 
All of our struggles in our marriages today, it all stems from that relationship. Uh, the verse goes on to say, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So today when you meet a man, um, what you often see is an elaborate fig leaf. By that I mean a costume, uh, a false persona, persona designed to make you think that we've got it all together. That, you know, we're cool, you know, no, no problems here. But under the surface, it's all a disguise. Right. It's all a disguise to make you think that we're holding it all together. Uh, the final passage in, in Genesis 3 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now, every man, besides having that question, every man also carries a wound. And the wound delivers a message, and the message says, no, you do not have what it takes. Adam suffered a wound that day uh, when he failed. He failed miserably. And so his confidence was broken. Now, you men, <clears throat> you all have a wound as well. We don't get out of this, this broken life that we live without suffering a wound. The fact of the matter is, our deepest wound almost always comes from our fathers. Masculinity begets masculinity. And a boy is looking for signs from his father that he has what it takes. It doesn't mean that our fathers are, are bad people. Um, it's not about ragging on our fathers. All of us are imperfect. Fathers, sons, daughters, we all are going to wound our children at some point or another. It's just because we live in a broken world. So the message is, no, you don't have what it takes. Our response to the message is the false self, is the poser. Uh, we try to answer that message by um, coming up with uh, a way to, to counterbalance it. It could be a passive thing. It could be, well, I'm, I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to step out there. I'm just not going to do anything that I'm not sure I can actually do. Or it may be on the aggressive side. It's like driven, hard-charging, perfectionist. I'm just going to master everything that comes my way. Either of those, you're living out from your wound. And it can be devastating. Here's the thing. We get good at being the poser. We get good at portraying that we have it all together. So at this point in our lives, we've got this, this thing going, right? That, that we try to defend against the voice inside our head. A couple of things can happen. One, we can recognize that we do have a wound and it's led to this poser. And we can begin to bring that wound to God and to Jesus to allow him to heal it and then to share it with our group of two, three, or four. Because these things, um, they happen in a group. They don't happen alone. Or 
We could try to keep it covered up. We can try to keep soldiering on like it doesn't really matter. And in that case, what happens is God eventually comes into our lives and he starts to strip away the carefully constructed mask or costume that we've been trying to put up to the rest of the world. At the time when he starts to do that, it feels like he is not on our side. It feels like he is, he's like fighting against us. Like, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? By the way, this happens in both men and women's lives, this part, right? The wound goes both ways. It's just the question that's different. So God starts stripping away these things that we relied on. In my life, it was this church thing that I had going, right? God took it all away. He reduced me down to, well, who are you if you don't have a successful church that you're part of? And then finally, I was forced to recognize that I had a wound that was far deeper than what was going on at my church. See, eventually God dismantles the fig leaf. Eventually God comes strolling through our garden saying, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? Now this morning we have a very special treat because I have one of my best buds, my brother Domingo Amante is here. And he's going to share with us uh, from his retreat story. When he went on the retreat, come on up, brother. And uh, thank you for sharing. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? I don't even know if I'm supposed to be up here because I failed that quiz. <laughs> so anyway, let me start, let me start this up. Um, let me tell you a little bit about this retreat. It's a retreat that Mike Tucci puts together for the Band of Brothers. It's a place in Pennsylvania that he, gets, he rents a cabin for, for, for all of us during the springtime almost every year. Two years ago, he invited me to attend, so I went. Little did I know it would turn out to be a great experience for me. I really didn't know what to expect from this retreat. All I knew that me and a bunch of my brother was getting together for a whole weekend. That, me- that means a break from our families. <laughs> when I got there, Mike Tucci had it all planned out for us. We were about to find out all about our wounded hearts that we was carrying from our dads. During this weekend, I found out about my wounded heart that I was carrying around all of my life. I learned that I had a wounded heart. I suffered from anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. A lot of people didn't know this because it didn't happen to me so often. It really happened when I was alone and having time to think. Sometimes it took me a long time to go places with this anxiety that came on me. I used to ask myself, what's wrong with me? I'm not like this. You'd be surprised how many people deal with this. I didn't, know, I didn't know this was coming from the wounded heart I was carrying around. On Sunday, the last day of the retreat, Mike sends us out to spend time alone in the woods so we could pray and spend time with our Heavenly Father. It was snowing. It was beautiful out there. I sat there praying and thinking. Finally, I started thinking about not only the wounds I was dealing with, but the wounds I might be giving my own kids. After a while, I finally felt this silence in my soul. I heard from my heavenly father. He said, hey, I forgive you. He, no, he said, hey, forgive your father because he had wounds too. And he did not know me when he was raising you. 
He reminded me of all the great times me and my father having together now. He also said, I forgive you too for all of the mistakes you have made in your life. I am your heavenly father. Now go and teach this to my kids that I allowed you to have. I feel joy and, and a sense of peace. God is great. Even though I'm not going to be a perfect parent, I will be there for my kids and other kids that need me to teach them who our Heavenly Father Jesus Christ is and help them through their lives. We all have wounded hearts deep inside of us, or even fresh ones. It could be from a lost one, a family member, a friend. The list goes on. But we have it. The main thing is to find it and open it. Then pray about it to our Heavenly Father. Look around. He has given you all a great family and skyline. You don't have to deal with this by yourself. You have, you, God has given you a big family in Jesus Christ also to help you heal from your wounded heart. He helped me to deal with this through the band of brothers in this retreat. Here's a little verse that I, I used to start this, this healing process. It's um, from Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Amen. See, I was carrying this wounded heart for many years, but I opened this heart, I gave it to God, and he has healed it. We all a family here, we all in this together. So if you got a wounded heart, open it up to each other. Thank you so much. Thanks, Domingo. The process of identifying your wound and exposing it to the light and beginning to let Jesus heal you is something that just doesn't happen alone. It happens for men in a band of brothers. For women, same thing is true. It happens in a circle of sisters. Now, when we bring men up to the retreat, they are usually clueless about the fact that they have something called a wound. But in that group... In that group of two, three, and four, they're able to hear other men share from their hearts, and they're able to discover their own woundedness and begin the process of healing. This is the power of two, three, and four. If you are here this morning and you are not part of a Skyline Life group, then the application for you this morning is that simple. You need to get connected to one of those groups. That is where this happens, this power of two, three, four. Uh, if you are a part of a life group, then I would encourage you to begin to open up your wounded heart to your brothers and sisters in your group. Share from that because that'll do two things. One, it'll help you to find the healing, or if you've already experienced that healing, it will help your brother or sister to find that as well. It's the first step toward true healing and to finding our strength again, but it doesn't happen alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the design that you put in our hearts, deep in our hearts, that as men and women, we individually represent your image. Father, you have truly made us uh, wonderfully. And yet we know that there's this burning question in our hearts that doesn't get answered. And as we walk through life, 
We take those wounds and the wounds go straight to that question and they give us an answer that we don't want to face. But Lord, you came. You came to redeem all of that. You came to bring us to the life that, that you wanted us to have from the beginning. And through Jesus, that's possible. So today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to really understand uh, what it is that we need to do and to really be able to apply ourselves uh, to let the power of two, three, and four uh, be at work in this area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.